God with us. That is God in the flesh through his son, Jesus Christ. Just think about that. And we beheld his glory. God in the flesh through his son, Jesus Christ. And without a doubt, as he came to earth, there was a massive response. The world responded to the person of Jesus Christ. Some responded favorably and some responded not so favorably and some responded with straight animosity. When God became flesh, the universe pointed out that he arrived. When God became flesh, angels appeared and declared his arrivals, his arrival to shepherds. When God became flesh, wise men left their comfort on a journey to get closer to Jesus. When God became flesh, there were demonic forces that were operating as well. When God became flesh, there were kings who were afraid of losing their position. When God became flesh, there was a religious establishment that could care less. But when God became flesh through his son Jesus Christ, there was no power in hell and no darkness that could overcome him. There was a response to the person of Jesus Christ. And today, the same Jesus who was born in a manger, the same Jesus who died on the cross, who rose from the grave, is alive and well in the midst of his people through the person of the Holy Spirit. He's alive and well in the midst of the world, making us aware of the reality that he is who he says he is, whether we receive him or not, whether we respond favorably or not. But how are we responding to Emmanuel? We see how people responded to him then. How are we responding to him now? Today, we're going to focus on the response of the wise men. How did the wise men respond to Jesus to his presence, to his arrival, to Emmanuel. The Bible reads this way in Matthew chapter 2, verse 1 on down. Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men, other translations will have magis, from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. And when Herod the king heard this, he was troubled in all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. And they told him, In Bethlehem of Judea. For so it is written by the prophet, And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from, from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child. And when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. After listening to the king, they went on their way. And behold, the star that they had seen, when it rose, went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. 
And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. Holy Spirit, we welcome you to bring revelation in this house. What all these things mean, that we would know who you are and know how we're responding to you. Pray for an anointing to receive an impartation from you today. In Jesus' name. As we read this text, it is so incredible to think that here are these men from far east who are pursuing to know who the king of the Jews was. Now, to understand this text, we have to dive into what is this all about? And where are they from? And who are they? What is it that they do? Some translations would say that they are magi. Some other translations would say that they are wise men. Uh, and so there's some confusion about all of the roles of, of what they did or what, it was, what was their office, you know. And, and the reality is, number one, they probably came from Babylon and Persian area, which we know as northern Iraq area today. And um, what they were were basically counselors to rulers and to kings in authority. Wise men would then, uh, some translation again say wise men, some translations would say magis. There were people that were basically given advice and given instruction and, and, and being, uh, bringing teaching to cultures and to people. They weren't just practicing necessarily magic. They weren't just uh, necessarily, as we think about it, magis in regards to sorcery or spirituality. They were scientists. They were astronomers. They were mathematicians who uh, had a, a range of different skills. Now, they were from the east. Well, the next question would be, why would these Babylonian men, why would these Persian individuals, so descendants from that area, be interested in the king of the Jews? And there are several reasons the Bible tells us right there that we read and we can pay attention to. Number one, they saw something they couldn't deny. Here they are studying the stars in a culture that believed that the universe above, that the stars had painted a story or of what would happen on earth. Particularly, they believed that when great things happened on earth, on, on, in the heavens, it would declare certain things would happen on earth in regards to kings who were born and kings of this world. And so when they saw that star, they not only that something, believed that something great happened, but they believed that it was a star that signified the king of the Jews was born. Why is that? Why is it that they believe? him to be the king of the Jews. That's also very important. You see, if they came from Babylon and they came from that area, and if they believed that it was the king of the Jews, it means that they believed in the prophecies that were declared over Israel. There was a certain man that was called to serve uh, the Babylonian kingdom who was a Jewish man who lived all his life in Babylon and, and, and served Babylon and Persia. And his name is Daniel. You ever heard of Daniel? Daniel who was in the lion's den? Remember Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego who were in the fiery furnace? They were in captivity under the rule of, ba of Babylon. And while they were in that captivity, God didn't, for, the plan of God for their lives was not for them to be free, but rather to serve God in the midst of that captivity. And Daniel was such a prophet that served God throughout the entirety of the captivity of Israel by Babylon and also by Persia, when Persia took over Babylon. 
Consequently, Daniel was a student also of the Word of God, and he studied the prophet Isaiah, and he studied the prophet Jeremiah. And as he was studying the prophet Jeremiah, the Bible tells us that Daniel basically one day understood Whoa, I get what Daniel, I get what Jeremiah is saying. Jeremiah is saying that the people of Israel will be in captivity for 70 years. And Daniel recognized that reality around the 67th or 68th year of Israel's captivity. So what did he do? He sets his mind to pray and to seek God for further revelation. And as he seeks God for further revelation, God gives him even more prophecy, a a greater prophetic revelation that speaks of detailed years when certain things would take place. Particularly, particularly, Daniel prophesies right around the time that the Messiah would be born. Many believe that these wise men were possibly descendants of Daniel, who always had a hold of the prophecy that Daniel had declared. Because if Daniel's prophecy was true, it would happen at a certain time. Isn't that incredible? So here they are. By the way, during the time that Jesus was born, it was a messianic culture. In other words, because people believed the prophecy of Daniel, and they were paying attention to prophecy, they believed that they were living in a time where things were about to happen. Kind of like today. We believe it's the end days. Why do we believe it's the end days? Because the Bible tells us in 2 Timothy chapter 3, in the last days, people will be lovers of themselves. Instead of loving God, they'll seek for their wealth. They'll be boastful, abusive to parents, disobedient, unholy, ungrateful, and unforgiving. They're always learning, but never getting to the truth. Don't you see that happening today? And so these people had a high expectation that the Messiah was coming. They didn't know the attack necessarily exact time, but they had a high expectation. And these Babylonian wise men begin a journey by this incredible star that was revealed to them. Obviously, they also believe certain prophetic things, and they begin to move forward to get closer to Jesus. Now, there was another prophecy too that they believed, and it was a prophecy declared by someone who was hired to curse Israel. You see, the Bible tells us a story of when Israel was journeying in the desert that the Moabites, the king of Moab, wanted to curse Israel. And he hired a prophet, a prophet by the name of Balaam, who obviously had a certain level of authority. And he said, I want you to stand up in this mountain. I want you to look at the whole people of Israel, and I want you to just declare a curse over their lives. I just want you to curse them so that they don't come against us and defeat us. And so... When Balaam stood up at the mountain to declare a curse over Israel, God did something incredible. God gave a vision to Balaam, and instead of allowing Balaam to speak a curse, Balaam had no choice but to declare a blessing. Isn't that incredible? Here's how that scripture reads in Numbers 24, verse 17. 17, Balaam declares, whoa, I see him, but not now. I behold him, but not near. A star will come out of Jacob, and a scepter will rise out of Israel, and he will crush the forehead of Moab, and he will break down the sons of Sheth. Now, what in the world does that mean? So here's Balaam. He thinks, man, I'm making good money. I'm just going to take this money. I'm going to speak a curse over Israel. And as he stands there, God gives him a revelation of the Messiah. He doesn't even know what he's seeing, but he's declaring this prophecy. as says, whoa, I see him. But it's not for now. I behold him. Oh, but it's not near. A star will rise. And what will he do? He will crush Moab 
and destroy Sheth. What does that mean? It means this. Notice it says, crush the forehead of Moab. It means this, God will defeat the plans of the enemy. God will defeat, right, the, the wicked plans, the evil scheming of the enemy. And it says, and he will destroy the sons of Sheth. It means God, Sheth actually means sons of agitations. And it's a reference to warriors that fought against the people of God. God will destroy the strength of the enemy that comes against his people. I want you to know something today. I don't care what kind of curses the enemy is speaking over you. I want you to know the truth. God is fighting for you, not against you. When the enemy rises against you, I want you to know this truth. God is destroying the evil scheming of the enemy, and the strength of the enemy will be brought to nothing because greater is he that is in you than him that lives in the world. When the enemy rises to curse you, he will be defeated. <laughs> and so they knew these prophecies, and they waited for these things to take place, and they responded to the Messiah in a very special way. Today I want to focus on the way the wise men responded to the Messiah. Number one, the Magi's responded to the birth of Jesus and their response was the response of true believers. Their response was truly the response of true believers. God revealed himself to them. Gentiles who by the standards of Jews, there's no reason why they should receive any revelation from God because they're outside of God's covenant. But here they are. They are just studying their science. They're going about their business, and boom. They see something so glorious, so magnificent, they can't ignore it. I want you to notice it. They didn't make the star appear. The star appeared, and it grabbed their attention. I want you to notice the shepherds. They're just going about their business, and the angels show up, and they declare the Son, the Messiah, is, has come. Why is that? And it is a simple truth about the Christian message. And this is what we believe in. This is true Christianity. You didn't find God. God found you. Amen. You didn't discover God. God revealed himself to you. You weren't searching for God. God, with all of his passionate love for you, pursued you even when you ran away from him. God loved you so much that he allowed you to run away from him so that you can run right into him. This is the message of Christianity. God revealed himself to them. God gave them a special revelation. And how did the Magi's respond? They received that special revelation, and they set out on a journey, a costly journey. I know that the movie that we just showed um, just shows that they were there at the point of the birth, but the reality is it was probably two-plus years by the time they got to Jesus. So they had to spend a significant amount of money just to get to Jesus, right? They left their comfort to start this journey into the unknown, probably facing some challenges, but the special revelation that they received from God was enough for them to begin the journey. There are people today who are receiving special revelation from God. There's a man by the name of Nabil Qureshi, a Muslim, who gave his life to Christ. He wrote a book about it called Seeking Allah, Finding Jesus. In his pursuit of Allah, God began to reveal himself to him, and he began to have dreams where Jesus was revealing the truth of who he was to him. He gave his life to Christ and became one of the greatest witnesses and apologetics teachers of our time who just passed away about three months ago. Great man of God. Just read the testimony in Christianity today of top 10 greatest testimonies of this year. 
one of those testimonies spoke of a woman by the name of Virginia Prodan who was born in Romania, in communist Romania. To declare you're a Christian in that area, you could vanish. <laughs> right? And all of a sudden, she just saw somebody, and she saw hope and joy and peace in their lives. And she says, what do you have? And that person just said, I have Jesus. And her life was completely transformed by the reality of who Jesus was. Or the testimony of Nicole Cleef, also in Christianity Today, top 10 testimonies of, the, of, of our year. She was a pronounced atheist, grew up an atheist, had no desire to know anything about God, and really could care less about faith. She respected people of faith, but she had a certain level of peace about the reality that when she died, it was going to end. To her, it brought peace to her that when she was dead, she was dead. But all of a sudden, she started to raise kids. And she started to have some challenges. And she found herself, she says, in a room by herself. And she said, God messed up my happy atheist world. <laughs> because there I am in that room, and I am perplexed, and I'm struggling. And all of a sudden, I say to the room, don't leave me alone in this. And I say to myself, why in the world am I speaking to my room? Then I began to read a eulogy about a great man of God who had passed away. Now, as I was reading the eulogy, somebody asked this individual uh, who was doing the service, hey, do you believe in total depravity? In other words, they were asking, do you believe that hum all humanity is condemned to death, that they are unworthy of salvation? And that man said, no, I believe in sufficient depravity. And that means this, that I believe that all of us are depraved to such a level that by ourselves, if we were at the gates of heaven, we would not go in because we're not worthy if it weren't for Jesus. Since when I read those words, I began to weep. Then all of a sudden, it piqued my interest, and I began to read about Jesus, and I just cried every time I read about Jesus. Picked up a book, and I cried about Jesus. Read the gospel, cried about Jesus. Something else was said about Jesus, and I was crying. Said to myself, I got to deal with myself because I'm a wreck. I'm a mess. I'm crying everywhere I go. I got to deal with this reality that Jesus has messed up my perfect atheist world. God is a God of revelation. If you look at your life, you'll recognize God has been putting stars all around to get your attention. I was just meeting with somebody this week in Orlando. Thank you for your prayers for traveling mercies. I'm so glad to be back home. But while I was there, I was meeting with someone, and as we sat at the table, they said, you know, I, I don't read the Bible. Someone who had a, a, a real understanding of science and had a reverence for an understanding that there has to be an intelligent designer. He just wasn't ready to give his life to Jesus, but he knew there had to be an intelligent designer. He knew too much about science to deny God. And he said, you know what? Um, um, I'm going to tell you the truth, Carlos. I don't read my Bible. Never really have. I just don't do that. But once in a while, I read a verse, and it shocks me because every time I read it, it's like something tells me I knew this. It's like I knew this to be truth. <laughs> tell me more about it. I'm going to tell you why. I'm going to tell you why. Because God loves you so much, he's revealing himself to you even though you're not looking for him. Because that's who God is. That's the claim of Christianity. That God loves you so much that he's going to look for you even though you're not looking for him. He's looking for you right now. And he's like, whoa. And then I was like, so how was that game yesterday? <laughs> just switch it up on him, right? So I didn't lose. So I just kind of drop kick him real quick and then walk away. <laughs> <laughs> Just got to let people munch on what God's doing in their lives. Let God deal with them, right? God is the one that's doing the work, not me, right? 
God is revealing himself. As I was preparing this message, I, I prayed to God, God, would you show the people how you're revealing yourself to them? And he said, yeah, I want you to say something in the middle of the message. And I said, God, I'll say it. What is it you want me to say? And then he told me, and I was like, I don't want to say that, Lord. Can you have Sister Rachel or somebody say that? Because I'm good. I want people to have revelation. I just don't want to be the joker that has to say the revelation sometimes. Listen, as I'm praying, I'm saying, God, I want you to reveal yourself to people that they would know that you're speaking to them in a very special way. And I very clearly heard, I very clearly heard say, God say, God is dealing with some of you in the area of your finances. Someone here, something's happening with your finances, and God is trying to get your attention. And I'm not going to lift up another offering. I want you to know that. I'm not interested. I'm not interested in your money, to tell you the truth. But as I was praying, the Lord said, I need you to declare this, so I'm declaring it. God has been doing something with your finances, and that is the hand of God. There are some that God says, I've been giving you repeated messages. You turn on the radio, there's my message. You turn on a podcast, there's my message. You turn on the TV, and there's my message. And you've been ignoring me, but that's my special revelation to you. He's speaking to you over and over again. God is revealing himself. God is revealing himself to us because he is the God of revelation. The Magi's responded to the revelation that God was giving them, and they began their journey towards Jesus. Not only did they respond to the special revelation, but on their journey, they ended up in Jerusalem, which tells us that they obviously didn't know all the prophecies because the Bible clearly tells us that the Messiah was going to be born in Bethlehem. And so while they were uh, heading that way to Jerusalem, they stand before the king that has been appointed by the emperor Caesar, and they say to him, where's the king of the Jews? He was born. In other words, yeah, you're a king, but you've been appointed by Caesar, but the real king is born. Do you know where he is? Right? I mean, just think about the reality of what was being said. And Herod, obviously, you know, was very slick in his response. But we'll talk about Herod next week. Uh, as, as they say that to him, he is troubled, and he brings all of the teachers of the law to come to try to give him an interpretation of what's supposed to take place. Where was the Messiah born? And the wise men not only respond to special revelation, now they respond to scriptural revelation. revelation. And what does the scripture say? He will be born in Bethlehem. So what do they do? They head immediately, they go to Bethlehem to find the Messiah. I find this to be true. God speaks to us through special revelation to draw us to his word. And then when he draws us to the word, he gives us scriptural, he gives us biblical revelation. The question is, okay, we respond to the special revelation. How are we responding to the biblical revelation? So my wife and uh, I, uh, part of the blessing of being married to the Morford family, my wife's side of the family, is that they have traditions, and traditions are really good for families to have, right? I grew up in a home that didn't have certain traditions, certain rhythms, and my wife and Laura and Heather, they, they do traditions, and that's been very healthy for me. One thing that they do is that they pile up all these leaves, right? Pile up all these leaves. Then they get cheap candy. You wonder if it's cancerous. But, you know, no, they get all this candy, and they put it in the leaves, and then the kids go to get the candy that's in the leaves, right? And they get super excited because they have to dive in the leaves, and they got to get candy. Candy that's theirs in the first place. We took their actual candy that was there, and we dumped it in there. But don't tell them about it, right? We're just like, isn't that awesome? You got a new Snickers. <laughs> right? So anyways, you know, 
They're diving in there, and they're having a blast. And Elena happened two days ago, happened to leave the bowl outside at the grass. And I happened to no, uh, notice it, and I, said, I, said it, uh, I mentioned it to Becca, and Becca mentioned it to Elena. Hey, Elena, go get the bowl that you left outside. Lo and behold, the next day, I'm working, I'm moving, I'm getting some gallons of water, and I walk, and I notice the bowl is still there. And I go up to Elena. I say, Elena, come here. Me, Elena, Lily. That's what I do. Okay, that's the call. You know, when I'm calling them from church on Wednesdays, me, Elena, Lily, let's go. That's all three. And when they're in trouble at home and I need to get a message or I'm trying to instruct them all, I just say the whole name, me, Elena, Lily, and they can tell by the intonation. Okay, this is a serious moment. So there they are. They're standing. And I said, Lena, um, didn't mama ask you to pick up that bowl yesterday? They said, yes. Guess what? The bowl is still out there. Yes. Why didn't you pick it up? I don't know. You know what I don't know means? It means, Dad, my responses are very calculated because I don't need a whooping or want one. <laughs> so I don't know is all I'm going to say to you because I don't know doesn't give you the freedom to spank me, glory to God. <laughs> she is wise in all her ways. Right? And I said to her, you're not in trouble. I'm going to tell you why you forgot. You forgot because you didn't obey immediately. You had every intention of doing it. It wasn't a hard chore. All you had to do was go get the bowl. But the reason why you didn't do it is because you forgot because you didn't do it right away. You know, sometimes God gives us some really good biblical revelation. And it's so powerful and it's so life-changing and transforming. And we get it and we're like, that's what we needed. That's what we needed to get freedom in our lives. But because there is an immediate obedience, we forget what God's revealed. Sunday after Sunday, God giving us great revelation, but there's no immediate obedience. Because there's no immediate obedience, the enemy comes in and snatches away what God's planted in our hearts. Right? And then all of a sudden, a year later, we hear the same message. Oh, yeah. I remember that. Thank you, Lord, for being patient with me. But it doesn't have to be that way. You can go from revelation to greater revelation instead of repeating the same six cycles. Anybody with me today? The Magi's responded to the biblical revelation, and they headed to Bethlehem. This is so special. Not only did they receive the biblical revelation, not only did they receive the special revelation, but as they journeyed and obeyed, they were finally before Jesus. They had this great joy about this whole reality, and they opened up their treasures. Think about it. A two, at least a two-year journey. How expensive would that be? So these, these guys had some money. Right? They were just, right? They had money. And as they were going throughout their journey, they're coming before Jesus, and they had special treasure that they had saved. It's the best of their treasure. And they presented it to this possibly two, three-year-old child. What in the world is Jesus going to do with gold, frankincense, and myrrh? You ever given a gift to the kid and then the kid kind of just looks at the gift and says thanks and then grabs the bubble wrap and starts playing with it? Yeah. And you're like, I could have bought bubble wrap for a dollar. <laughs> you know, anybody ever seen that? You know, it's like they're more interested in the box than the toy itself. You know, what is Jesus going to do with all this? But I'm going to tell you the meaning of what they presented. Number one, gold is giving to, given to kings. They were declaring Jesus king. Frankincense is given to God. It was an act of worship to God. And myrrh is a gift that's typically given in intimate relationships. 
And it is the gift of embalming and of perfume. This is what is used for burial. Do you see these gifts as being extremely prophetic? These gifts that were being given to Jesus Christ? They responded to the special revelation. They responded to the biblical revelation. And when they were before Jesus, they weren't looking for more revelation. They were looking to bless the King of Kings. I believe that in the church today, there are many, many people who say, I want to make it to heaven. I want to receive from God. I want everything that God has for me. But I wonder how many people come to church saying, how can I play my drum for Jesus? How can I be a blessing to Jesus today? I wonder how many of us do life thinking, today I awake and do life with one goal in mind. I want to be pleasing to Jesus. I want to bless him. How many of us are saying today, I've come to church to give my very best to him. I do life to give my very best to him. I didn't come to get a blessing. I've been blessed. I got revelation. I, I thank God that he's going to do that. I know that I can never outgive God, but my focus today is to bless him for who he is. That's a whole nother focus of life. That's a whole nother intimacy. It's a whole nother level. We got to ask ourselves, what are we giving to God? Are we giving God a costly gift or are we giving God the leftovers? Are we giving God a costly gift or are we giving God the leftovers? And then something happens. Not only did they receive special revelation that led them to the biblical revelation that led them to give freely to God, but after they responded appropriately to all of God's revelation by giving, you know what they did? You know what happened? God gave them more revelation because you can never outgive God. Just can never do it. And so there they were, and as they're sleeping, God gives them a dream. Another way that God speaks to them is says, don't go to Herod. He doesn't have good intentions. Go back home another way. And I want to tell you something. I typically see this as the, this is the journey of every Christian believer, every person who's on pilgrim, pilgrimage to obey the Lord. It begins with God revealing himself. It continues with God giving us understanding of, biblical, of the Bible and what it says for us. It continues with us surrendering, responding appropriately, and giving to God our lives and our finances and all that we have from him. And then when we do that and we live that way, God continues the process of continual revelation. As you obey God, there's going to be greater revelation over and over again. It just, it just is the way of God to reveal certain things as we continue to follow him. And we're going to close with this. Psalm 25 is one of my, uh, one of my absolute favorite scriptures in the Bible. It reads this way, 25 verse 14. The Lord confides in those who fear him. He makes his covenant known to them. In other words, the Lord takes into confidence. In other words, the Lord brings really close those who have reverence for him, those who honor him. And I love this translation. The secret of the Lord is for those who fear him or who honor him. And he will make them know, know, his, know his covenant. In other words, as we close, that's what the scripture is saying here. As you respond to my revelation, as you respond to my word, as you give of yourself to me, I am going to begin to declare over you secrets that you do not know, plans that are hidden from you, but I don't want to keep them hidden from you. 
I can't wait for you to grow with me so that I can reveal to you the great and mighty things that I have in store for you. I cannot wait to share with you all that I have planned for you. Would you stand with me today? Isn't God good? Thank you, Lord Jesus. Can you begin to just bless his name? Would you just lift up your voice right now and just bless God? Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, God. Thank you, Lord God. Thank you, Lord God. Hallelujah. You're so good. Would you pray with me right now? Just pray, Lord. We welcome you to have your way. Prepare our hearts for you. Those who intercede, those who are called to intercession, would you begin to pray that God will completely bring freedom completely in our lives. He will bind the enemy, that we would respond to his presence right now in this house. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. I want to make several altar calls today. And I'd like to welcome you to respond by coming to the altar. Maybe you're here today and you're saying, you know what, Pastor? God has been revealing himself to me through special revelation. And I realize today that I need to respond. You're here today and you recognize today is the day to give your life to Jesus. To begin this journey of following Jesus. You've been at the fence. You've been at the fence. I totally surrendered, but everything that has been declared today has been God just making it very clear that he loves you and he has a plan for your life. And today he's calling you to embark on this journey. Today you're here and you say, I know that the Lord is calling me, that it's time for me to give my life to Jesus. That's you today. Would you raise your hand right where you're at? Hallelujah. I see your hand. I see your hand. I see your hand. I see your hand. Lord, I thank you for salvation in this house today. I thank you, God, that we have so many people who are raising their hands who are saying, I give my life to Jesus. God has been revealing himself to me, and I want to respond to his revelation. I want to respond to his revelation. Today, I thank you, Lord God, that you are welcoming them on this journey, that you will continue to open up their eyes and their ears to how you're speaking to them and dealing with them and that they would know that you love them, that you have a plan for their lives. I thank you that salvation has come to their hearts, that conversion has happened and is happening. I thank you, God, that you have taken away their heart of stone and you're giving them a heart of flesh. I thank you that old things pass away and all things become new. And I thank you that their names are written in the Lamb's book of life. Thank you for salvation in this place. Thank you that we have new brothers and sisters in Christ. Hallelujah. Blessed be the Lamb of God. We thank you today, Lord. We thank you, Lord. Maybe you're here today and you're saying, Pastor, I've given my life to Christ. I've responded to God's revelation. But I realize that there are areas of my life that's not responding to the biblical truth. There's Bible mandates, things that the Bible's calling me to do, or a word that God's given me. I'm not really immediately responding. I'm forgetting because I'm not immediately obedient to the Word of God. And today I want to be, make a commitment to immediate obedience, to respond to biblical truth. If that's you today, 
right where you're at, would you just make your way to the altar? You're saying, I want every area of my life to be marked by immediate obedience. I don't want to go from revelation to revelation just forgetting what God is declaring. I want my life to be marked by immediate obedience. Some of you are here and you're saying, I know that there's something God's calling me to be obedient, but how do I go about it in, in, not, in, in a way that's not abrupt or radical? Uh, you need to leave that to God. Trust the Lord. He will lead you. But if you come up here and say, Lord, I want to be obedient. I want to immediately obey your word. I believe that the Holy Spirit will instruct you. Today is the day. Let's break six cycles. And let's, let's go onward in Jesus Christ. If you're here today and you're saying, I commit to biblical obedience, immediate obedience, would you come to the altar right now? Maybe you're here today and this is the last call. Maybe you're here today and you're saying, you know what, Pastor? Um, you know what, Pastor? I realize that there is something that God wants me to give to him. There's something that I treasure so much that I've kept it, but it's something that God's wanted me to give to him. Whether that be a relationship or whether that be your, your, your training in school, in college, whether that be your finances, whether that be your plans for the future, those things are standing in the way of you surrendering to God right now. And you realize today God's calling you to give that to him. It's costly. I'm not saying it's not costly. I will never ask you to give God something that's not costly. Because God is worthy of that which costs much. And you realize today God's calling you to a deeper surrender. Maybe you're here today and what you're holding on to, what you're treasuring. I know this sounds weird, but what you're treasuring is unforgiveness and bitterness. It's the very thing that's made you who you are because of the offenses that have been committed against you. You refuse to forgive others. You, forgive, you refuse to let go of things. And you hold on to that until, you, until vengeance is fulfilled. It's going to kill you. If you don't let go, that's going to kill you. Do not treasure that. Surrender that. If that's you today, would you come to the altar? There's something God's telling you. You need to give it up to me. Would you come to the altar right now? Would you come to the altar right now? Just, Lord, I give it to you. My job, my future, my college, my finances, my relationships, bitterness. I'm free. I give it to you, God. I give it to you, God. I give it to you. I pray that you will be those who God reveals his secrets to. I pray that you will be those who walk in confidence with God. I pray that you will be those who experience God saying, Psst, come here. I got greater things to show you. That is the very desire of the Father. The altar workers come up at this time and help me pray for those who are here. We're going to pray for those who are here at the altar. Just remain here until we pray for you if you can. And let me bless you. I pray that you would respond like the wise man, that your life would be lived seeking the Messiah, giving your life to him and responding to him. I bless you in Jesus' name. You're here today. 